Welcome to Hillside Baptist Chapel's weekly Bible study. Please join Dr. Steve Wood every week where we can all collectively grasp a better understanding of God through His Word. Contact information is as follows. Dr. Steve Wood, Pastor, phone or message at 6438-6541, email at steverwood002 at gmail.com. Prayer requests can be sent directly to hbcprayerlist2020 at gmail.com. Well, it's good to see everybody here today. <laughs> I know you don't need this microphone for you to hear, but we're uh, doing a podcast of our uh, Sunday school, and especially with the day like today, we need to have uh, our broadcast, and hopefully others will be able to uh, tune in and, and uh, participate. And of course, we'll be uh, doing a podcast for our worship service as well. Alright, we're, we're looking today at the future temple. And <clears throat> hopefully you were able to read uh, chapters 40 through 43. I'd ask you to uh, look at all of those when you have a chance to. And uh, so uh, we'll be making reference to those. Still a little bit too loud, I think. Uh, but uh, as we look at uh, 40 through 43, chapters 40 through 43, some interpreters believe these chapters describe the sort of temple that the Israelites were to build when they came home from captivity. Something that we're studying about or looking at in uh, my uh, worship and our worship time. But uh, uh, if this is true, this is prophecy about events that will happen there in the next 50 years, there in Israel, as they're released. Now, <clears throat> keep in mind that as Ezekiel is giving his prophecy, the people are still in captivity. In fact, they have just recently gone into captivity. And uh, part of his prophecy, if you remember at the very first of the book, was to individuals who were still in Jerusalem. They had been taken away into captivity. And uh, then he went to uh, those that were in captivity and began to prophesy to them the things that God told him to uh, speak about. And uh, so now as we're uh, thinking about a future temple to be built, this is something that he is able to tell the people about and give them hope that they're going to be released from captivity. They're, they're going to be, be able to go back home. They're going to be able to have their nation again. Now others have interpreted these chapters as largely symbolic and describing how God will dwell with His people in a perfect relationship. Now when's that going to take? It hasn't taken place yet, has it? But there is going to be a time when 
God is going to establish a kingdom. And Jesus is going to be King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And it's going to be in a perfect relationship with Him. And so there's some of the things that are talked about in chapters 40 through 43 that seem to be dealing with things that are not going to happen on this earth in our uh, present relationship with God. It has to be something that is going to take place in a future kingdom. And then there's actually a third view. Some view these chapters as fitting into a future that uh, is going to be a time when a new temple is going to be built in the millennium and God will establish that temple. It's not going to be the temple that's going to be built during the tribulation time. There's going to be a temple that's going to be standing during that time because of things that are going to take place. But um, there's uh, this temple that will be built at the beginning of the tribulation. We see the Antichrist desecrating in the middle of the tribulation. So in the middle of the week, three and a half years into the tribulation, Satan is or his uh, representative, the Antichrist, is going to come into the temple and uh, desecrate that temple. And uh, that's not the temple that we're talking about here. I don't believe because of the things that it says about the temple. But the Lord does tell us that there's going to be a restored temple. As the Israelites are released from captivity as they come back home. And uh, again, this is uh, what we find in our study uh, of the scriptures. In uh, what we've been looking at in Haggai. So, God is talking about that temple as well. Now, the Lord is appearing again to Ezekiel. And this is in the 25th year of the prophet's exile. 572 B.C. We know the exact year. As we were uh, beginning Haggai, we were able to look at exact years. And as we look at Ezekiel, we again are given a specific, specific time to be able to understand when this prophecy was given. And Ezekiel was transported in a vision to a high mountain on the southern slope are buildings that are like a city. It's something that uh, we don't know anything that's ever been like that. And Ezekiel sees a man who is a heavenly messenger standing by the gate of that city. And he's holding measuring instruments in his hand. And he's going to measure out a new temple complex. 
are there any comments that you have about any of this? If you were able to read it, did anything strike you that uh, brought up questions that you wanted to ask about or discuss? If not, let's look at the return of God's glory in 43, Ezekiel 43, beginning with verse 1. It says, Then the man brought me to the gate facing east, and I saw the glory of God, the God of Israel, coming from the east. His voice was like the roar of rushing water, and the land was radiant with his glory. The vision I saw was like the vision I had when he came to destroy the city, and like the vision I had seen by the uh, Kibar River, and I fell face down. The glory of the Lord entered the temple through the gate facing the east, and the Spirit lifted me up and brought me into the inner court, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. While the man was standing beside me, I heard someone speaking to me from inside the temple. We'll look at what was said in just a moment. But as we look at these verses of Scripture, he refers back to earlier visions that he'd seen and compares the vision that he's seeing now to those earlier visions. He had seen the glory of the Lord departing the temple. Chapters 9 9 and 10 talk about that. And this was an act of judgment that God brought upon the land of Israel and showed that God was removing His blessing. The greatest of this blessing was His presence in the temple. He was no longer going to dwell there. He's no longer going to receive the sacrifices that were offered in that place. Do you remember that there were all kinds of damnable things taking place in the temple? They were worshiping false gods there, and uh, uh, God was very upset with the people. And, and He's telling Ezekiel that this is one of the reasons that they're going to go into captivity. The land is going to be desolate, is because of their failure to worship Him. And now Ezekiel is recording in this new vision that God is going to return to the temple and His glory is going to be there. Now, at the time Ezekiel is writing this, there is no temple. The Babylonians have completely destroyed the temple. They have raised it. There's nothing left. Not even the foundation. All of it's gone. Now, as you remember, the new temple is going to be built. And it is built in Jerusalem. And so it's this new temple here that he's talking about. The temple that's in uh, Jerusalem that the people that are coming back are going to build. The Hebrew word translated glory here is the Hebrew word kebab. 
K-Bot. And this conveys the idea of splendor, honor, beauty, magnificence. You can probably use some other adjectives to describe this as well. And when it's used in reference to God, and that word glory is used in reference to God, it conveys the ultimate perfection. The perfection of every one of His attributes. How God is perfect and complete. But we see God's glory coming to rest in the temple. And it comes from the east. Now if you remember the vision that Ezekiel had had previously when the glory had left the temple complex, it left going east. Now I don't know what significance that has, but we see God coming from the east. Or we see him going to the east. By the way, it's to the east of Jerusalem that the exiles are currently as Ezekiel is making this prophecy. They're to the east of Jerusalem, northeast in Babylon. Now notice the Lord's voice is described as the roar of mighty waters. This is a common way of referring to the sound of individuals hearing God speak. John in the book of Revelation applies this to Jesus as he speaks. And then the land shines with the glory of God. The Hebrew word translated as radiant is also the word that's used describing Moses' face as he comes down from the mountain after he received the commandments after he received the instructions from God. And then you remember as Jesus was on the Mount of Transfiguration with James and John and Peter, his face was radiant. Now this vision reminds Ezekiel of two visions that he had earlier, as I mentioned a moment ago vision of the Lord glory hovering over the Mount of Olives before leaving the city to allow the Babylonian army to come in. As long as God's glory remained there, the Babylonians couldn't destroy the city. God was the protection. Now, God is our protection, isn't it? We'll talk a little bit about how this can be Related to His glory, His Spirit in our day and time. But the glory of the Lord now moves to take residence in a new temple that's going to be built. Another thing about the East, Jesus came from the East across the Mount of Olives as he rode into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. 
and he entered the temple. And the Lord's glory then fills the temple. Parallels to this can be seen in Exodus chapter 40, verses 34 through 38, where the glory of God entered the temple. And you remember, Moses could not enter the tent because of God's glory. Do you remember that? And then, in 1 Kings chapter 8, verses 11 through 13, Solomon's temple is finished. And we find the glory of God comes to Solomon's temple. And it says there that the priest couldn't perform their services because of the glory of God filling that temple and being present there at that time. Now, <clears throat> the next thing that we look at is that God's return to the temple is conditional. Let's look at verses 7 through 9. He said, Son of man, this is the place of my throne and the place of the sole of my feet. This is where I will live among the Israelites forever. The people of Israel will never again defile my holy name. Neither they nor their kings by their prostitution and the funeral offerings for their kings at their deaths. Then they placed their uh, when they placed their threshold next to my threshold and their doorpost beside my doorpost with only a wall between me and them, they defile my holy name by their detestable practices. So I destroyed them in my anger. Now let them put away from me their prostitution and the funeral offerings for their kings and I will live among them forever. God is explaining the reason for his earlier judgment. And he's gone into more detail in other places to describe the things that were going on there in, in Jerusalem and in the temple to show that God had just cause for deporting the Israelites to captivity in Babylon. But now for his return and his blessings, it's conditional upon how the people act and react toward God. God says that this is the place that he has chosen for his people to worship. And he is now coming home, as it were, and will live among them as he had before. But he tells us that he's going to live there forever. But for this to happen, God says that something must happen. He uses an if-then scenario in verse 9. If the people do in fact put away idolatry, 
if the people decide to follow him and him alone, if they no longer defile his holy name, then he promised that then and only then will he dwell among them forever. Well, we know today that there's no temple there, is there? There's what they call a wailing wall. There's a portion of the temple that's still left in Jerusalem. But the temple is gone. Now, there's going to be another temple built, as we mentioned a little bit ago, that's going to happen during the tribulation time, or before the tribulation. So uh, there is going to be a temple in uh, Jerusalem in the middle of the tribulation where the Antichrist is going to defile that temple. And evidently that temple is going to be destroyed as well. Yeah. Uh, Pastor, I was wondering, what are the funeral offerings for the kings? What exactly is that? I'm not sure. I tried to look this up when I, I read about this. And evidently they were uh, uh, defiling the temple by coming in and uh, having some kind of ceremony for uh, a funeral for a king, for the kings as they died. And I couldn't find that anywhere in the scripture, but he talks about it here, so I don't know. Uh, well, it must be pretty bad because they have yeah. right alongside the prostitution, so That's I'm right. not really sure what that would be. Yeah, I'm not sure either. But anyway, uh, they were doing something that uh, God was condemning. And evidently the people who were listening to this, the people receiving this, understood what he was talking about. Could they have been in a type of worship, placing the kings above God? Maybe so. I don't know. Maybe maybe honoring them above the name of God. Maybe that's what we're seeing here. I don't know. Alright, any other thoughts? I wonder the significance of the wall. He says, you know, putting a wall between my and Nobody can hear you. I was wondering about, uh, you see, it's in verse 8, I think. Um, they place a door or a wall, they said, between my threshold and their threshold. Yes. And the doorpost. What yeah. was the significance of that? The, the wall. The wall. I, I think he's just saying that um, as the Israelites were worshiping there, this was their place of worship, but it was God's place of worship. In other words, the building, the wall that he's talking about, the door frame that he's talking about, uh, the Israelites considered it theirs, but God was saying it was His. And uh, that's the idea I get from this. I think that they were uh, defiling God's temple. And God was saying, you're counting it as yours your wall, your your structure. And it was supposed to be my wall and my structure. Alright, any other thoughts? Alright, let's look at verses 7 through 9. I'm sorry, 10 through 12. Son of man, describe the temple to the people of Israel that they may be ashamed of their sins. Let them consider its perfection. 
And if they are ashamed of all they have done, make known to them the design of the temple, its arrangement, its exits, its entrances, its whole design, and all the regulations and laws. Write these down before them so that they may be faithful to its design and follow all its regulations. This is the law of the temple. All the surrounding area on top of the mountain will be most holy, such as such is the law of the temple. You remember we're looking at uh, <clears throat> the building of this new temple in our morning worship service. And <clears throat> remember last week we talked about the people who came back. Some of them were old enough to remember Solomon's temple and how magnificent it was. And they were looking at the temple that they were building and they were saying, oh, this is nothing. And some of them didn't even want to work on it because they didn't think it was anything. But notice what God is saying here about that temple. He's saying it's going to be marvelous. It's going to be magnificent. He says, consider its perfection. So, he says the whole design and all its regulations and laws. A lot more has to do with the function of the temple than actually what it looked like. And God was saying, this is beautiful. This is wonderful. And in fact, God was saying there that the new temple that they were going to build was going to be more magnificent than the temple they had before. Have you got that up on the screen? This is Herod's temple. On the back of your uh, sheets today, your handout, you're shown what the temple complex is supposed to look like. And this doesn't give us any idea at all of how magnificent the building was going to be. But the temple that the Israelites came back to build after they were released from captivity was the beginning of what you see here. And I'm not sure that you can see it too well. Actually, you can't. But see the little dots here on the stairs that are going up to the temple? That's people. It was huge. This was the temple that was in existence when Jesus was on earth. It was called Herod's temple because Herod had taken what the Israelites had done earlier in beginning the temple building and completed this magnificent structure, a beautiful temple, and uh, something that the Israelites were again very proud of. They had been proud of the uh, temple that Solomon had, had built, and they were very proud of the temple then as it was later completed under Herod. Herod wasn't a very righteous individual. 
he wasn't a very godly person. But he wanted to uh, get the uh, Jews to favor him. He wanted the Jews to follow him. And uh, so one of the things that he knew he could do to get their attention and to get their loyalty was to build onto the temple. Make it more magnificent. Make it more grand than what it was before. So, uh, God tells Ezekiel here to describe this temple and the plan that he had for the people. Why would he do that? Well, the people that Ezekiel is giving this prophecy to don't know the temple. Because the one that had been there, the one that Solomon had built, was no longer there. It was completely gone. And a new generation has arisen in Babylon as they're in captivity for 70 years. And the new individuals that have been born haven't seen the old temple don't know about it. Yes, there's still some individuals that uh, as they come out of captivity can remember the former temple. But he's describing to them a new temple. Not Solomon's temple. Not the old temple that they had when uh, they were taken into captivity and it was destroyed by the Babylonians. But Some of these individuals have never worshipped in a temple before. And so God is giving the message to Ezekiel to describe the grandeur of the temple for him, for his worship, for his exaltation. Now, the design of the temple the rules of the temple, those who serve in the temple, how all of this is going to be done. And this is all in preparation to help them have the understanding they're going to be released from captivity. They're going to be able to again go back to Jerusalem. They're going to be able to go back and have a temple have a place of worship. Now remember as they were in Babylon, they developed the synagogues and they were able to in a sense worship God but not in the sense that God wanted them to worship Him. They weren't able to give sacrifices. Sacrifices were only able to be made at the temple. Now one of the things that happened over the years is that people had gone out to shrines that were built for other gods and goddesses and offered sacrifices there to them. And this is again one of the things that God brings up that he was upset with the Israelites about and one of the reasons for the captivity, one of the reasons for their deportation. But as they returned home, He's preparing them 
to know that as they come back to Jerusalem, come back to Judea, to Israel, that they're going to come back to worship Yahweh in the way that God had given that they should worship Him. Despite what is hopeless in the eyes of men, the return from Jeru uh, return to Jerusalem from captivity, the building of that new temple, just seems like something that is impossible to the individuals that were receiving this message from Ezekiel. And even to the individuals that came back and were there to do the work of the temple, uh, it just almost seemed impossible for them to do the work. But God said, I'm with you, and you'll be able to do what I've asked you to do. Now, God will be coming back with them. And they will live there in that land, and God is going to be there with them. He's going to have a presence in that new temple. And He's asking them to all turn back to Him and all serve Him, even while they're in captivity. Now as we look at this today, uh, all these things are words of hope and encouragement to these exiles, these Jews that were in captivity. Now remember we've said before that as they were in Babylon, they were free to go about their business and they weren't tied down to being a slave like the Israelites had been in Egypt. It was a far different existence. And many of them got accustomed to the life in Babylon. And they didn't want to go back to Jerusalem. They didn't want to go back to Israel. But God is giving this to encourage them and for them to have a vision of what God was going to do later on and how that he wanted a greater relationship with the people than what they were able to have there in captivity. And what about us? These chapters are about understanding relationship with God. The Apostle Paul says that our body is a temple, doesn't it? You're the temple of the Holy Spirit. And as a temple, we're not to desecrate it. We're not to do things in our body that would dishonor God. As these Israelites had done for the temple that had been in Jerusalem. We're to keep it holy. We're called, in fact, to dedicate ourselves to God, to His purpose, to His worship. Our bodies are to be like the temple complex, in essence, in Ezekiel's vision. It is to be separated, kept apart 
to be holy and indwelt by God. And on the day of Pentecost, the Spirit came to dwell with believers. And when we receive Jesus Christ as our personal Savior, the Holy Spirit comes to live with us individually. We have such a wonderful opportunity to serve God, to worship God, and to know God. Much different than what they were able to know Him in the temple worship. Even though the temple worship was a better relationship than what they had with the synagogues in Babylonian captivity. And then finally, uh, the story reassures us that God is faithful to His people and that He is all-powerful. Present circumstances should never cause us to doubt the promises of God, what God has said in His Word. In all things, He's working out a plan for those who love Him. Doesn't it say all things work together for good to those who love God, who are called according to His purpose? And uh, so we need to continually dedicate ourselves to worshiping and serving and being instruments of God for His purpose. All right, that's all I have this morning. Any other comments or questions? Our Father, we thank you that we've been able to open your word today. We've had the privilege of seeing these things that you're telling the Israelites about and how that they're going to go back home. They're going to have a temple which to worship. And they're going to be able to serve you according to the dictates of your scriptures. Help us today that we might keep that same thought in mind for our day and time and that we would serve you the true and living God as you would have us to. We ask your blessings on those that are listening to the podcast today and to those that are here in your house. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Contact information is as follows. Dr. Steve Wood, Pastor, phone or message at 6438-6541, email at Steve rwood002 at gmail.com. Prayer requests can be sent directly to hbcprayerlist2020 at gmail.com. Thank you and God bless.